Living with Diabetes, a podcast from Diabetes Victoria with Jack Fitzpatrick. Hello and welcome to Living Well with Diabetes, the official podcast of Diabetes Victoria. This is a great forum for those of us impacted by diabetes, whether it be directly or indirectly, to discuss ideas, share stories and build our diabetes community. I'm Jack Fitzpatrick, ex-Melbourne and Hawthorne AFL player and current Diabetes Victoria ambassador. Before we begin, I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the Kulin Nations, where we are speaking from today, as well as all the lands across Australia, and pay my respects to all elders past and present, and to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people listening in. We've gone to the other side of the world for our first guest of 2022, and I'm very, very excited about this conversation We've got someone who was born to be an athlete. If there was anyone born to be an athlete, it is our guest today. She's in the USA at the moment on a basketball scholarship at UCLA, which is uh, pretty good going indeed. And of course, she is living with type 1 diabetes. Of course, I'm talking about Izzy Anstey. Izzy, thank you so much for joining us. No worries. Thanks for having me, Jack. I do have to apologize to you and to everyone listening in. I actually was diagnosed with COVID last night before recording this. So uh, if I do sound a bit throaty or I sound like I'm a bit out of breath, um, that's what's going on. I promise I'm okay. Um, but yes, COVID from this. So obviously recording this one from home. But you also had COVID yourself recently. Was it over Christmas or, or just before? Yeah, I tested positive five days before Christmas. So I was in isolation over Christmas and got out just before the new year hit. That would have been nice and fun to be on your own with in isolation for Christmas. <laughs> yeah, I just had to wrap up my presents for myself this year. <laughs> <laughs> no surprises with what you're getting. That's a that's a shame. I mean, if there's ever a good time, not that there's a good time, but I guess uh, your family probably weren't coming over for Christmas anyway. So if you ne- were going to be by yourself, I mean, you're probably halfway there. I, I actually had my dad and my brother here when I tested positive. Um, really? So they'd come to visit me. Yeah. Um, but I mean, they were great. I text dad one morning i said i woke up with a little bit of a scratchy throat and it's kind of going through our program i don't think i've got covid but like just letting you know um and then a few hours later i got sent to isolation housing but he was great he dropped me off supplies he dropped me off everything that i'd need but it was hard to cut cut their trip a few days short but they were great in helping me get through that Geez, I didn't realise that. That is absolutely horrible. Um, I will get to your parents uh, shortly because I think it's almost the first step of your journey. But we talk about, you know, COVID for those of us living with diabetes being, you know, we are in the higher risk category. How did you feel throughout and how are you feeling now? Um, throughout, I went the first couple of days of obviously being positive with no symptoms and then they kind of hit overnight, but it was it was the body aches that everybody talks about, the scratchy throat, the headache, the head cold. Um, I had that probably from day three till about day seven of testing positive. Um, so it was like a little bit more prolonged than most people experience. Um, the worst days were really early, but I mean, I'm fully recovered from that i went through covid protocols getting back to basketball and really took it easy um but yeah compared to my teammates that obviously like they're not they're not type 1 diabetics it was completely different i had a lot stronger symptoms and then they lasted a little bit longer as well and i was just making sure that what i was feeling was covid related and not diabetes related so there was a bit of that gray zone but all good now yeah, I mean, that's, you know, a, a good question that when you're experiencing a symptom or, or whatever it might be, 
are there times when you had to check your sugars to make sure you weren't going low or extra high and that was contributing to it as well? Oh, yeah. There'd be times where I'm like, so am I sweating because of COVID or is my blood sugar dropping? Like, So you'd yeah. have to pull out a glucometer test and no, it was COVID most of the time. <laughs> Yeah, no, absolutely. And now you're back. You've played your first game of basketball, I believe. Um, how did you go? Yeah, we played our first game yesterday. We actually played up at altitude in Colorado. So that was a whole another problem to deal with after coming back from COVID. But unfortunately, we, we lost that one. But it was it was a good game that we all we all were coming back from COVID. We'd had a month off playing basketball because of the whole program getting shut down. Um, but no, it was good to get back onto the court and to compete again. Well, fingers crossed you can only improve. And um, you were saying off air that uh, your lungs were burning afterwards, and it might take a little bit, might take a little while to get back to where you were. Oh yeah, I was hooked up onto the oxygen machine, oxygen machine afterwards, and struggling a bit, but I'm all good now. Well, fingers crossed you have enough in your oxygen uh, in your lungs to get through this conversation. And as I said, moving <laughs> forward, you, you keep improving. But you mentioned your dad, um, who's over in America with your brother. Um, now, your dad, obviously, ex-Australian basketball, a legend of Australian basketball, Chris Anstey. And uh, I, I'm, I know it's well documented, but your mum is uh, as credentialed, if not better credentialed herself. But Lindley Frame, of course, an ex-Olympian swimmer, uh, is very, very well known. If anyone was born to be an athlete, we talk about bloodlines in uh, racehorses being worth millions <laughs> and millions, uh, you would be worth anything is. Oh, I'd hope so, but <laughs> but no, they're yeah, they're great. They've yeah, everyone says it's it's pedigree. They've really set me up to be as successful as I can on the court. And like you said, it's not just dad with the basketball side; it's mum as an athlete as well. That's really been a big help. So, growing up, was it always basketball for you, or were you you know a good swimmer? Were you good at other sports as well, or? I tried a few others. I swam for a while. I played volleyball with school. I did some other stuff, but I mean, at the at the end of the day, it was always basketball. Yeah. And at what age were you diagnosed with type 1 diabetes? I was 13. 13. So right just at the start of those teenage years. Yeah, it was my first year of high school, actually. So it was a big year. Right. And your brother also has type 1, I believe. Is that right? Yeah. He has type 1 as well. He was diagnosed two years after me. Okay, so you were the first one. Yeah. Right. So before your diagnosis, um, was there any – did you know what diabetes was? Did you understand it? Did you have any concept of what it might be and and how it works? Yeah, my grandmother, my mum's mum, is type 1, and she was diagnosed when she was 7. So we – grew up with it i knew what it was i didn't know how complex it was by any means but we'd always watch her do a needle we'd see her prick her fingers to do her blood sugar we'd steal her power bars that she'd need for her hypos because they tasted good um (laughs) but like we we both grew up with it so i had a general understanding of what it was but obviously nowhere no idea of how complicated it really was to manage so you're probably a bit better than me. I, I'd like to tell everyone that I was diagnosed two weeks before I turned 21. It was my third year of playing AFL, and I had all the misconceptions of diabetes, the stereotypes that you hear that I got it because I ate too much sugar or didn't have a good diet or that it was for people who are a little bit overweight or don't look after themselves or eat well, those kinds of things, which, as we know, is just untrue. Um so you got diagnosed at the time. Was it a, obviously a massive shock for you as a 13-year-old? 
Yeah, it was. I actually got diagnosed. I came on a trip to America with my dad for two weeks. And before the trip, mum had said, don't put on a bunch of weight. You know how those Americans are. Um, just as a completely offhanded joke. And then yeah. I came back probably after two weeks, maybe five to ten kilos lighter than when I left. Yeah. And she she said she hugged me for the first time and I just felt like I wasn't there. And then mm-hmm. for the next few weeks I was just sick all the time I was drinking liters and liters of water uh, all of the things you kind of hear about like the weight loss the over drinking water having to get up in the like middle of the night four times to go to the bathroom and then I started getting pretty sick I thought I had like a stomach bug um so my GP sent me off for some for some blood work and then when I got them back, he rang my mom and he was like, are you sure Izzy didn't have a donut before that blood test? Um, But yeah, like my glucose levels were at 27. It was crazy. So that day I was was sent to the hospital. I spent three days there. But yeah, it was a massive shock. I was, I had no idea why it was happening to me because like, like I said before, I kind of knew what diabetes was and I knew that Although I didn't know how complicated it was, I knew that it wasn't something that everybody has to deal with and it, it changes your life forever. So I was like, why me? But yeah, it was a shock. I can only imagine. And I, one of my favorite parts of talking with you know other people who live with type 1 is their diagnosis story. Everyone's, everyone's different. Um, is your story as interesting or cooler than your brother's or is his cooler than yours or are they somewhat similar? Um, mine's a little different just because it was a shock for everybody and mom and dad really didn't know what was going on when I was diagnosed. But I think when you have, you already live with a child with diabetes and if you start to see those same trending patterns again, you can kind of start to assume, but it was actually my brother's last day of primary school. It was his graduation day and he wasn't feeling good. So mom made him test his blood sugar on my glucometer. Yeah. Um, and she didn't show him the results. She told me that morning. So I actually knew before my brother that he had diabetes. Um, but I was heartbroken. I think I was more upset for him than I was myself just because you know what you go through. I'd been doing it for two years. Yep. You know what you go through. You know how your whole life's about to change. Um, but then, yeah, we told him afterwards, after his last day of school. And he didn't have to spend as long in hospital because, I mean, I told the nurses. I was like, I got him. I can tell him everything. Um, but yeah, his is a little different to mine, but yeah. Yeah. And I'll come to the management of yours in a second as well, but, um, I'm imagining that you and your brother's management is quite different despite the fact, you know, you're obviously related. Um, but I always said that I was lucky in a sense that I was diagnosed when I was 20 because I sort of got through my years as a child and a teenager and all those kinds of things. And one thing I always talk about and, and think is that as a teenager, the number one thing everyone wants to do is fit in, whether that be at school, whether that be at sport, whatever it is. Now, by, by definition, when you have diabetes, you're living with something that makes you different. Now, it's obviously not in a bad way at all. It just means that, that you've got something that people don't understand. They see you pricking your finger or giving yourself an injection or whatever it is as a teenager, and they ask questions. And as I said, by definition, it makes you different. Now, I'm imagining that uh, you are, correct me if I'm wrong, you're six foot three, six foot four? Yeah. Yeah. So you're a tall girl, which I think is great, by the way. Um, the more tall people in the world, the better, as far as I'm concerned. But um, you probably grew up and were you a tall teenager as well? Yeah, I've been tall my whole life. I was always a foot above everyone else. Yeah. So 
as a 13-year-old, then going into, you know, the rest of high school and you're quite tall, which I know potentially at times you were self-conscious about, you know, being so tall and, and being taller than most other people in your year level. And then you have diabetes as well. And that makes you different for, again, one of a better word. Um, how did you deal with it growing up as a, as a teenager in terms of impacting not the actual diabetes itself, but impacting yourself, your self-confidence and worried whether people will be judging you and all those kinds of things? Yeah, absolutely. Of course, it like affected my confidence. I was always that really lanky. I was probably six one, six two going into high school, and I was so underweight it was crazy. But because of like my build, we kind of just thought, oh, she'll grow into her body. But in a way, diabetes almost helped me. Like as soon as I was diagnosed, as soon as I started taking my insulin, I started filling out my body. I started like really like coming into myself physically. And it is one of those things that you don't want to be different. I think I told two or three of my friends when I was diagnosed. I didn't tell anybody. I'd go and do my needle in the bathroom. I'd go test my blood sugar in the bathroom. I didn't want anybody in my class to see it or anybody at lunch. And I kept it a secret for like a, a very long time until I was like, well, this is me. Like people need to know I need to be safe. Um, almost like the more p- people that know the better. Like if I'm about to have a hypo in the middle of PE People need yep. to know that I'm diabetic and I'm not just over-exaggerating the fact that I had to run around the oval. Um, but no, it, it absolutely affects your confidence. And I think I have come to the point now that it's who I am and it's something that I wouldn't wish it on anybody, but I'm proud of and I'm proud of the things that I've been able to accomplish even with having diabetes. But the, the first year or two were definitely really difficult, wanting to fit in, not fitting in, all of that. Yeah, you you know, you absolutely should be proud. We'll get to your accomplishments of what you have done and, and what you are doing shortly as well. I mean, you absolutely should be proud, but I'm glad to hear you saying you are proud and it, it is you because in some ways I'm imagining that, you know, early days when you are hiding it from people, whether it be testing your sugars or giving yourself an injection or having to play it cool when your sugars are low. And I think anyone who's ever had a hypo knows that that's very, very hard to do. Um you're almost living two two lives in some ways in terms of there's the real you in, in terms of what you're having to do with your sugars, but then there's also high school you that just wants to fit in with people. Yeah, and I think it really helps you you know who's there for you, you know who's helping you, you've got that friendship group. I remember I think it was a week or two after my diagnosis. My It sounds so lame now, but two of my best friends were having their 13th birthday party and all I wanted to do was go. It was at this cool function room. It was like all the cool kids going and uh, my mum was freaking out. She was like, you just got diagnosed with diabetes. You don't need to be going and drinking all that soft drink, yeah. all of this. And I was like, no, but I have Holly with me. And Holly, she still is. She's my best friend to this day. But I was like, no, Holly's there. Holly knows. Like, she'll She'll look after me. And I remember going to the bathroom and I was wearing this jumpsuit. So she had to do my needle in my arm for the first time ever. And it's just you realise the people that have your back on a yep. whole nother level. And, I mean, it re- it's true to, like, the day. Like, my roommate here at college knows all about it. And then although my teammates, they all know that I'm diabetic. They don't know the daily struggle that goes on behind it. Um, but, yeah, the people that are there in your life supporting you are definitely exemplified through that. No, absolutely no doubt about it. Now, going through high school and then obviously, you know, you the older you get, the more uh, the the higher level of basketball you're playing at. And correct me if you correct me if I'm wrong, but you played for Australia um, at World Championships at under 17s, 18s and 19s or something like that. 
Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it obviously hasn't stopped you from, you know, you're living your dreams and, and chasing your goals. And obviously now you're in America on a basketball scholarship, but how is your management of it um, as a teenager? I mean, firstly, on a day-to-day basis, managing it with school and those kinds of things. And then also, you know, the older you get, the more you're training and then you're going overseas on tournaments when you're 15, 16, 17 years old. How did you cope with all of this? What so Did you just sort of hang on and, and hope for the best? Did you have a plan for it? Did you? How did you actually get through those years? Um. Yeah, no, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I was perfect with it all the time because I think all of us know that we never are. Um, It was difficult, but I think you realise – I didn't realise soon enough, but you realise how important controlling your diabetes is to controlling how you are on the court, on the field, wherever you're playing your sport. Um, But there were times even that I was playing basketball at home and my blood sugar would be so high or low that I didn't even know what I was doing on the court. Um, and I think when I realized that, I realized how important it was that it wasn't just for my health, but it was to be able to keep doing the things that I love to do and do that at a high level. Um, so even though there's there's days, there's weeks where, like, I'll go into denial all the time, like, nope, don't have diabetes, like, I can eat this, I can eat that. Um, yeah. But at the end of the day, you have, to, you have to put your body first and travel makes it difficult, changing time zones makes it difficult, all of those little things. Um, but like you said, like I had experience traveling for tournaments in when I was 17, 18 and 19. So kind of over those years, you develop what works for you and then you kind of go with that, but there'll be a million doctors telling you what to do and a million people that think they know what diabetes is telling you what to do, but it's just working out what works best for you in that. Such a key point, I reckon. I mean, you know, you use the the million people slash doctors who think they know what, the, um, what to do, and, and they do. Obviously, they read the textbooks and, and they know the science, but one of my best friends is a doctor, um, and he knows what living with diabetes is like in the textbook and what I should be doing, but he doesn't know the, what it's actually like living with it, and it is a very different thing. And, you know, even work, finding out what works for you, you know, in terms of, you know, I'm six foot seven, you're six foot three or four. We're both tall. I obviously don't play sport anymore, but played sport for the first six or so years of my life living with diabetes, you play sport. So you would think there are similarities there and absolutely we can discuss, you know, who does what and how it works and those kinds of things. But what works for me and what works for you can be very different and it's not a one size fits all. No, exactly. And even living with a brother that has diabetes as well, like he has a pump. I do ins- I do my needle it's just like even the little things like that, it's preference. Even if something's going to impact you the exact same, it's preference on what you like to do and how you like to do it and when you want to do it. Um, so, yeah, like you're right, everybody's story, everyone's management is completely different regardless of the fact that we both have type 1 diabetes. You mentioned your brother. It was going to be my next question because obviously growing up as teens as well, you know, he very similar boat. Um, he's quite tall as well, I believe. Yeah, he's 6'11 now. He's He's growing. That's that's tall. That's probably an understatement. But I mean, <laughs> you, you're both growing up as teenagers, but um, you know, you're still living these completely different lives. Um, a, you know, male versus female. Um, B, you're doing a lot more elite sort of sport. But you know, despite the fact you've got the same DNA in, in you know, many ways, obviously as brother and sister, as you said, your management of it is completely different. Yeah, like I said before, he's he's on an insulin pump. He found that that's what works best for him. I've stuck through with needles the whole time. I didn't like the idea of, not that it's a bad thing, but I didn't like the idea of wearing a pump and somebody being able to visually look at me and say, oh, they have diabetes or 
there's something wrong with them or like the general like the generalizations that you get when something looks because that's the first impression anybody has of you and how you look so I just didn't like that and I thought that insulin needles worked for me better but I mean he loves like the fact that people might find a pump more easy more easy to like control your blood sugar so it's just completely different preferences I found that one thing works for me that doesn't work for him but I mean at the end of the day we can like we would talk about it especially in the early years we'd talk about it a lot and there'd be times where we'd both come down into the kitchen both having hypos at the exact same time and mum just would not know what to do because yeah. one of us would get silly and then one of us would be sweating and then we'd both be laughing at her together and if you don't have diabetes, you don't know what you're talking about and going and eating ice cream together and all of that. But yeah, it's exactly what I said is everybody's individual with it. And I think it's really hard to kind of put a blanket statement over. This is what you should be doing. And like you said before, there's a textbook way to do it. And there's a way that actually works. 150%. So you're still on needles and injections. So when I sorry, yeah. needles and finger pricking. Yeah, and um, just with purely the the optics of it, I guess you, it's you're not you're not wanting to change any any state anytime soon. No time soon. Yeah, I mean, I was always you know people would ask me about the pump certainly while I was playing, and I didn't like the idea of having to put it on, take it off, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, I know yeah. quite a few people now have the uh, CGM, and and they speak. You know, they, they rave about it. People rave about the pump too. Um, and I actually tried the C-Jam as well for a, a, about a month, not long ago, just before Christmas. Um, but again, it's just about what works for you. And um, while I'm always – I do love talking to people with diabetes about what they do and how they manage it. Uh, I personally am also a believer of if what you're doing is working, there's no need to completely, you know, throw the baby out with the bathwater. You can make little tweaks here and there, and you might give me a great suggestion of what you do to – Avoid hypos before bed or while you're doing sport, et cetera, et cetera. But, um, yeah, I am a bit of a believer. If what you're doing is working for you, then uh, you don't need to try and reinvent the wheel. No, exactly. I especially had that when I moved here over to the States. I obviously had to change my doctors, change all of that. And the amount of stuff that I heard when I came over that you're doing this wrong, you're doing that wrong, which is crazy. I said, well, it's working for me. Look at where I am. Like, mm-hmm. um, So, yeah, just sticking with what you know and what you're comfortable with, I think, is like the biggest part of it. So people always ask me and, and they ask me still, you know, how did you deal playing with diabetes? You know, what did you do in terms of your sugars? What were you eating? What were you drinking before, during, after sport, et cetera, training? What do you try and do, um, you know, for a training session or for a match? Do you, do you try and have your sugars at a certain level? Do you eat the same foods? Do you drink the same things at the same times? Um, it all depends on when my blood sugar starts before practice because our practice aren't at the same time every day. At the moment, I'm having breakfast before practice, testing my blood sugar again after breakfast and then making, like, any adjustments needed but I usually I usually tend to start a little bit higher with my blood sugar I'll try and be in that eight to ten range at the start of practice and then my athletic trainer's great she carries around a Gatorade for me if I need that during practice and my coaches have gotten to the point now that they know if I'm starting to slip low or just like little things in the way that I play um but yeah before practice I usually try to have a full meal and then top it off with any snacks that I need, any Gatorade, any anything really. Um, I've got Powerade on the bench. I've got snacks on the bench. Um, but our practices are three hours, so it's 
really hard to just say, this is what I do before practice and it gets me through the whole three hours. Um, So as a team, even the 14 people on our team that aren't diabetic, like we get a break in the middle of practice where we can have a snack for two minutes where we can do those things. So in those little breaks, like I'll test my blood sugar again, if I feel like I need to adjust whatever I need to with that and then keep going. But I mean, everybody that has diabetes knows that Monday won't look like Tuesday necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, even post game, the, the recovery day, I might find that I have a hypo later at night and then I'm recovering all through the night and practice will look a little bit different the next day due to that. Um, yeah. but yeah, my kind of blanket one rule is to have a full meal before practice or a game. And then the rest is pretty interchangeable with how I feel and how my numbers are. And, and during a game, how, how often are you testing your levels? Is it, you know, at quarter time and half time or do you just sort of go by feel? How do you sort of work through that? I definitely used to be a lot more concise with when I tested. I'd always test before at quarter time, at half time, at three quarter time, at the end of the game. But as you live with it for years and years, you kind of understand how your body feels and like the cues to if you're going low or if you're going too high. Um, I'll always test before a game, make sure I'm really good to go there. And then the game goes so fast when you're playing in it. So the only time, unless I feel like I'm plunging really low and going all the way down, the only time that I'll really test again is at halftime. But in a game of basketball, that's usually only an hour later. So it's not that big of a time difference between one test and the next. Um, But yeah. No, I, it's, it's somewhat similar to myself. I mean, you know, I, for training, I would try and keep my sugars as, as close to ideal as possible, you know, and, and I'd probably be drinking the Powerade and Gatorade during training sort of just to keep my levels at a decent um, or at the same level. But game day, um, I liked to try and play a little bit high. I was tried trying to be somewhere between 10 to 13 because I just – I personally wanted to avoid a hypo. And if I was a bit high, I was a bit high. But you talk about everyone being different. Um you know, I coached a guy when I was coaching at the VFL a couple of years ago, really good player, uh, Tom Gribble, his name was, and he lives with type 1 diabetes and he's playing in the VFL. And um, I remember not long before a game, uh, I saw his sugars, he was wearing a CGM and he tested and they weren't high at all. I think they were under 10. And just before running out, he actually gave himself a couple of units of insulin because he wanted to be as close to, you know, an, an ideal reading, you know, so as close to five as possible throughout, regardless of whether he's playing sport or whatever. I mean, it's it's just, as you said, different things work for different people and um, there is no one size fits all with it. No, absolutely. I think just knowing your body is the most important part to it. A hundred percent. Now, you obviously are in America at college. Now, I've never been to college and... I'm guessing it would be a lot of fun if the American movies are anything to go by. I'm just going to be a, a naive person and assume that they're exactly like the movies. But <laughs> when you are meeting people and socially for the first time, and we spoke about fitting in, you've got your brand new team. Now, you know, coming in, it, it might be a bit easier to fit in with the girls you're playing with because, you know, you obviously they're in a scholarship and you're a good basketballer. So that probably gives you friends. But meeting people at UCLA, which is, you know, my understanding is that it's one of the basketball schools in America. Um, how do you go with that? Do you broadcast that you've got diabetes? Do you Are you embarrassed of it because you want to fit in more? H- how have you found that? Um, I think it's one of those things that it just depends on the relationship you have with the person. Like, I'm not going to say, hi, my name's Izzy, I'm type 1 diabetic and go on from there. But 
I mean, it's not something that I avoid having a conversation about or shelter anymore. I definitely used to. Um, but normally it comes up organically in a conversation. They'll talk about something and you'll say, oh, this happened to me when, and they're like, whoa, you have diabetes? Like, yeah, yeah, I yeah. do. Um, or you'll be going out for dinner with somebody, a new friend, or and then you have to whip out your needle and be like, oh, just let me stab myself really quickly with this needle. Yeah. Um, but it comes up completely differently in different conversations. Um, obviously, I tell all of my teammates, they all know, my coaches knew long before I came here. But like I said before, it's something that it's me. It's nothing that I can change now. I don't see them finding a cure before I quit or retire from basketball. Um, so I think it's just that fact that you live with it and you deal with it and you manage it as well as you can. And the people that need to know, know the people that I want to know, know I'll have posts on social media about it. And it's just, I think bringing light to the fact that, like you said before, it's not that stereotypical fats person disease or Mm. things like that. Like I am probably one of the last people that someone would assume has diabetes yet. That's what I have. Um, so I think just, educating people on the fact that it's not this like stereotypical thing that it's not from eating too much sugar all the time it's not all of that I think that's become really important for me so being proud to have it and educating it has kind of become my number one thing at the moment that is awesome and I I do love to hear that I want to go back to when you said um, that some people can think you know this is earlier on in the chat when you said some people can think that because you're playing sport and it's at such a high level and on social media, as is often the case with social media, people don't see the hard stuff when you do wake up in the middle of the night with a hypo, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And I think, you know, whether it be myself when I was playing football or other athletes, you can see this person playing their sport. And from an outsider's perspective, you go, oh, they're, that Superman or Superwoman, they don't have the same issues that I do with diabetes. Yes, they've got it, but they don't have the struggles, which, as you and I know, is absolutely untrue. You still have the ups and downs and the bad days and the good days and those kinds of things. But I want to ask you about the uh, take sport out of it, I guess, um, and just talk about being you know, a young woman, um, whether it be your late teens or, or now as you're moving, you know, getting a little bit older. Um Obviously, wanting to go out and, and have a drink or two with your friends is a part of what you do, and particularly in college, I'm imagining you're standing around with the red cups and all those kinds of things. As I said, I'm going to completely stereotype it. Um, how do you deal with nights out or going out and having a couple of drinks and, and those kinds of things, and, and how did you deal with that as sort of, you know, not only in college but, you know, in, in Australia as well? Yeah, I mean, when I turned 18 in Australia, it was a big conversation I talked to my parents about it a lot and it's just being smart with it. I actually spoke to a couple of doctors about it. I don't think having a drink's a bad thing or anything like that at home. Um, But again, it's just having those people around you that you trust. That was the biggest thing for me. If nobody knew that I was diabetic and if I'd had one too many drinks, I don't know, like there's a lot of similarities between someone who's got a low blood sugar or has had one too many drinks will act like so having those people around you that can see the difference or say, I don't know which one it is, but maybe test your blood sugar. Things like that is probably the most important thing for me. And then doing it like in that safe space, just like if you want to have a drink, having it at home and then seeing how your body reacts. So that was a really big thing of 
kind of when I started drinking, um, it's different here. I'm still underage here. So, and I've got a schedule busier than I ever could have imagined, but yeah, especially at home, just knowing, going back to it, knowing my own body, knowing how my body reacts, all of those things, talking to my parents about, well, this cocktail is going to have a lot of sugar in it, but if you have like this vodka soda, like that's a big difference. So it's kind of yeah. figuring out what works for you, figuring out. Um, I spoke to a lot of doctors. I really trust my my GP at home and he said, well, actually like alcohol will delay the insulin like impacting you. So if you're high for a little bit, that's okay. Yeah. So little things like that. And I think the more you can learn and the more, whether it's learning the textbook way of like how my doctor would teach me and then transferring it to how it actually impacts you. I think the more you know and the people that around you know, I think the safer you are and the easier you can kind of navigate entering kind of that way of life as well. I think there's a recurring theme from you, whether it be, you know, whether it be having a drink um, as a young woman or whether it be playing sport or whatever it might be, it is working out what how your body reacts to certain situations and finding out what does work, what doesn't work, and trying to stick to what does work as best you can and, and just understanding of if you do this, your body's going to react in a certain way versus if you do that, your body's going to react in a certain way. And as you said, there's or as we've said, there's no size um, one size fits all. It's just about understanding what works for you and being able to best plan for what's going to happen depending on on what you're doing. It's pretty much the, the same thing no matter what, what we're talking about. Is that right? I would say that is 100% correct. Yeah, and I think, you know, talk about giving advice um, as well. I think one key thing is living with diabetes is working with it and not against it. We can always get frustrated by it at some times when you have a hypo for no real reason or you have a bad day where your sugars are just high. You wake up high and they stay high and you get frustrated with it. But I think with that, if you actually work with it and understand that, yeah, this is something that I've got and this is how I can best deal with it. And it is understanding how things impact you. And instead of trying to fight it, you just work with it. I I think that is a key thing in terms of making life a lot easier. Absolutely. And there's times that I've been so fed up with it that I go into denial. It's not me. I don't have it. I'm going to eat this. I'm going to do that. But I mean, whatever you do in those stages, you feel awful. Like if you're not looking after, you're feeling awful. And I think exactly what you said is right. Working with it instead of against it, the more you work against it, the worse you're going to feel. Um, So working with it and it's, it's part of you. It's part of who you are. It's part of how your body works now. So I think the more that you can work with it, I think the better you're going to feel on a day-to-day basis, week to week, year to year, and the healthier you're going to be. No, absolutely. I agree. Now I've got two more questions um, and I'll let you go because you've been very generous with your time and I could speak to you all day about it and your story. I think it's fascinating, but um, one again, that is just about living in the the normal world for want of a better word um, as being a young person living with diabetes. Um, Dating, how, how have you found that? Is it something that you're worried you get judged for? Have you been shy or, again, do you just accept that, no, this is who I am, that's, I'm proud, I'm part of me and sort of accept me for it or don't? Well, I think if you're going to date someone, that's the first person that needs to know that you're diabetic. It's someone that you're going to be spending a lot of time with, whether it's going out to eat, whether it's day-to-day life. I think if you're not open and communicative I think that's a word with that person 
I mean, it's kind of half the relationship there. You need to be able to trust that person in all facets if you're going to start dating them. I mean, there's like the occasional, I mean, if it's a one date type thing, you're not going to go into it on a deep level and need them to understand the exact time of day that you're going to have a hypo and the exact milligrams of carbohydrates that you're going to need. But I think if it's an ongoing thing, trusting that person and letting them into the way that you your day-to-day life is, I think is really important. And yeah, I mean that thing, like it's the trusting thing, the trust that they're going to look after you, the trust that you put in them to do that. Yep. No, very good. I agree. I mean, if, if they can't accept you and understand it and, and those kinds of things, I, I'm completely agree. And I'm, you know, I, I do love the fact that you are so open about it now and just accept it for who you are. The final one that I talk about is, um, I don't know if you feel this way, but um, I feel that if you meet people with diabetes or see people from afar with diabetes, you almost automatically feel like best friends. And sometimes you've never even met them. Like you can, you just have this connection with someone because you understand what it is they're going through. And, you know, myself, um, you know, there are a couple of AFL players that are playing with diabetes that I've only met once or twice. Some of them I haven't met at all, but we can talk and we can chat. And that's some of the great things about social media. But it's not just football players. There's so many different people living with diabetes that are playing sport in particular, you know, whether it be yourself. Um, I talk about Sarah Clow and Verity Charles playing netball. Um, I'm sure you know Lara McSpadden, who's playing basketball, who we've had on this um, podcast before. Do you have anyone that you reach out to in as a um, someone else living with diabetes that you sort of um, chat with or look up to or, or whatever it is? Do you just admire from afar? Do you have your own sort of little diabetes network? Yeah, I think like you said, when somebody else has diabetes, like, hey, you've got it too, like, let's chat. Um, I think it's one of those things that's like, it's such a big part of you without anybody in the outside world really needing to know that it is, but knowing that that person is going through some of the things that you, it's that kind of closeness that you already feel. Um, I love hearing people's stories, especially since I've come to the U S there's been a lot of people reach out, especially over social media. Um, just like asking questions and having conversations. And I think it's a really big thing more than I like having people to look up to with diabetes. I love the, I love the mums that will DM me on Instagram saying, Hey, my kid's got diabetes. Like, can they chat with you? I love that aspect of it more because for me, I, as much as I had people with diabetes, like knowing that somebody else was going through that and, I think I'm really fortunate the position that I'm in here in the U S like knowing that there's a little kid whose dream that could be that has diabetes that doesn't know if they can get there. I think that's my favorite thing about this is the people that you're able to talk to through it, whether they be entering high school too, and just diagnosed and knowing that that's the exact same thing that happened to me and that my messages are always open for them, things like that, whether it's just like somebody just wants to tell you because even though I'm open with it, I know that I wasn't. And I know that telling one person can get a lot off your chest. So mm. just being that person that somebody can talk to about it or tell, I think that's a really big and important thing for me. There's definitely people that I look up to. You spoke about Lara McSpadden before. We've probably only ever had a handful of conversations, but she was at the, um, the, the AIS and I'd go up the camps for things and people would just tell me about her stories. And it kind of just made me feel a lot more connected to her just because I I'm going through the exact same things. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, there's there's always you never really know how many people have it until you know the people that have it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And sorry, uh, one question on the back of what you just said about people reaching out and and you know talking to you and whether it be the mums about their kids, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, or the people themselves. How did you find it initially? Were you quite reluctant to talk about it? Going, hang on, I'm just a young woman still trying to um, navigate my own way through it. Um, who am I to be telling you or giving you advice? Like, did it take a little while for you to be comfortable to speak to people about it in terms of? Um, you know, I've spoken before about almost feeling like a fraud in some ways and that, as we say, on the outside, you look like you're completely nailing it. You're playing basketball, it looks great, et cetera, but you still have your hypos or your days where you're high, et cetera. Do you, did, it, did you struggle with that initially or is it something you've always been okay with? Um, I think I re- once I started feeling comfortable speaking about it, I started feeling a lot more comfortable posting about it on social media too. And that's where a lot of people that will message me like know that I have diabetes. So I think I'm projecting a message that it is okay to talk about. It is a thing that affects a lot of people. So I was never reluctant in the sense to answer a DM because I was posting about it. I was talking about it. That's my way of kind of welcoming people to talk about it with me. Yeah. Um, if I wasn't comfortable talking about it, I wouldn't be putting it over social media. I wouldn't be doing those things. But I mean, that's one of my favorite things about social media is connecting the people that you really don't realize how many similarities you have until you see somebody else speak about it. So I think, I mean, my Instagram has so many messages about diabetes on whatever scale it is, and that's a place that will always be open for those conversations. Um, Yeah, it's never been something I've been reluctant to talk about with people on there for sure. That's great. And give yourself a shout out on those socials. What is it if people are looking to connect to you? It's just Izzy Anstey. Very, very simple. I-double-Z-Y Anstey? Yep. On both uh, Instagram and Twitter, is that correct? That is correct. Excellent, Izzy. Now, as I said, I could speak to you all day, but uh, we have gone over time already um, and I do appreciate your time so much and navigating different time zones and, you know, your recovery from COVID and your study and basketball and all of those things. I appreciate you taking the time out so much and and sharing your story. It's great to see you over there. I know the issues getting to America, it sort of came up at the same time as COVID and you're in Australia for, what was it, 18 months before you could get there. But it's great to see from afar that it looks like things are going so well for you. No, I appreciate you having me on here. Thank you, Jack. Again, thank you so much for sharing your story. I, I love it. Um, you know, certainly my favourite basketballer. I, you don't know this, but <laughs> we actually did meet once uh, back in 2008. I was year 11 and down at Southland, I saw your dad um, and I got a photo with him on my old phone that was like one of the first camera phones around and I'm, you were there actually. Well, I assume <laughs> it was you. And uh, yes, yeah, so you've overtaken him as my favourite basketballer these days, Izzy. So, uh, you know, as I said, anyone with diabetes is a friend of mine. Uh, thank you so much for joining me on the Diabetes Victoria podcast. Thanks, Jack. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed the program. If you'd like to contact us, it's very easy. Simply send an email to podcast at diabetesvic.com .org.au or of course all the information you'll need is on the website diabetesvic.org.au